may be seated. Make sure I got that flipped for, for everyone. Um, we're going to be jumping into a new series this morning. And uh, I normally pray right now. I'm going to pray in a moment because I want to introduce it with a couple thoughts for you, just so you know what's kind of going on. Um, for the last two years, I've been trying to lay a foundation in the preaching here on Sunday mornings. It's been really two foundations. The first one is the gospel. Not just, the, not just the good news of how you get saved, but the good news of how we live the Christian life. I, I wanted to make sure that we, we begin to fully understand what it means when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and came back to life three days later. I, I want us to know it and love that truth and trust it. I want us to depend fully on the work of Jesus to give me access to a relationship with God. And not only that, but I also want the gospel to change something for me, not just how I start a relationship with God. How do I deal with my failures in that relationship? How do I get power to actually love and obey him? It's, it's all through the gospel message. Now, that's a big deal. We don't ever want to get over Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. It, it's too significant and real and powerful to be a moment we have once and then move on and never come back to it again. The gospel the good news of Jesus gives us relationship with God and empowers us to obey him. And it helps us deal with all of our failures. That's been one of the foundations I've wanted to lay for us. The second foundation has been the word. I've wanted us to be able to come to the word and really realize that it's authoritative and strong and powerful and clear. Listen, here's what we believe that the Bible says. It says that it is from God himself, his words. He's, he's breathed it out. He used men to write the, the word of God. That's, that's what he did. He used broken men to write the inspired and errant word of God. It, it's from him. That means it's authoritative. That means it has the right to tell me what to do. It has the right to tell me what to think and how to feel. And it has the right to confront me on my sin. It's powerful to, to slice my heart, my motives, my intentions. That's what the Bible says. It can, it can divide that and help you discover where you've gone astray. It's, it's clear and understandable. Not, not all of it's easy to understand, but, but God is a competent communicator. He didn't drop the ball and accidentally make something unclear for us. Like, oh man, I, I, thought, I thought I could say it better than that. That the word is clear and understandable. It's necessary to get to know him. You're not gonna know who God is by taking a walk among the lilies and the valley, or what, I don't know why I said lilies. I think I got some hymns stuck in my ear. You're not gonna get to know God by taking a walk on the beach. You, you might know something about God, but you wanna know him real and personal and accurately. The word of God is essential. It's also sufficient. I don't need to supplement the word with my creativity. I don't need to supplement the word with, with my logic. It's, it's literally sufficient. It's what we need to know and love and follow God. So, so here's why that's important. Uh, we're we're going to be starting a, a new study. And uh, as I've laid this foundation, here's the thing that's been going on in, in my heart and mind. Um, when the word is authoritative and it's clear and it's understandable, when the word is necessary and sufficient, then here's why that's important. What can happen for us when we come across the word is we see the word right here. It's, I see it. I see what it says. I understand it. It's authoritative. And then I see my life right here, or I see my standards 
right here, or, or I see my beliefs or my actions or my heart motives, and I look at it and I see the word here, and I see that it does not, it's not in line with me. And I've got a choice. I can ignore the word, not listening, la, 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 like half of America right now with whatever news cycle they love, they're ignoring the other side. I can, I can plug my ears and not listen to what God is saying to me and ignore it. Or I can twist the word so now it matches me. I say, oh, it doesn't mean that. It means what I already do, what I already believe. Or I can look at the word and repent and submit and let it change me. Listen, that's what I want to have happen this morning. And here's what I know. I cannot submit to the word and change my heart if he doesn't help me. I can't see how tricky my heart is. I can't see how stubborn I am or ignorant. I, I cannot see it. I cannot see how much he loves me and cares for me unless he helps me get it. So here's what we're going to do. I need help to teach and all of us need help to listen. So we're going to pray for a moment right now. And we're going to ask him to show up and to help us hear and to help me teach. Does that sound good? Yes, you answered. Proud of you. We're getting better here. An interactive sermon. Who would have thunk it? Would you pray with me? And, and right there in your seat. Would, would you just take a moment and thank God for being able to communicate clearly and accurately to us? Would you take a moment and pray for yourself and for everyone in this room that he would give us hearts that would want to hear what he would have to say to us. And, and would you take a moment to pray for me that, that I would teach the word and I'd be filled with the spirit and not do this on my own. God, we need you. It's clear and obvious that we need you, at least to me. God, I know that I need you. And we're not embarrassed to say that. We're happy to say that because you actually want to be found and you want to be present and you want to be helped. So God, we come to you because of the work of Jesus. We know we can come to you boldly and say, God, we want you to be here. God, we want you to be present. I'm, I'm asking you to help all of us to listen. God, give us tender hearts towards you and your spirit. I pray our hearts would be tender and on fire at the same time. And God, I'm asking that you would help me to teach. God, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this filled with your spirit. I want this to be a demonstration of your power and your strength, not my own. So God, I'm praying you would help me to teach clearly and accurately and faithfully your word. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I've already told you we're starting a new series, but I haven't told you what it is. Uh, our new series this, starting right now is the book of Titus. Now, let me tell you one of the reasons why I'm excited about the book of Titus and just a, a tad bit nervous about the book of Titus. The book of Titus is uh, its instructions for the church. I don't know how else to say it besides that. And Titus will very quickly, listen, it will very quickly go after church people. Uh, you need to hear this because uh, you're all church people, I think. I mean, you're in church right now. So can I put you in the category of church people? Do y'all mind me judging you that way? 
Okay, half of you do and half of you don't. Okay, so for the half of you that don't, I'm not judging you. The half of you that do, totally judging you. Welcome to the basket of church people. I'm a pastor, sorry, I'm a church person, all right? And it will very quickly ruffle your feathers. It will, you will see what your belief system is and you will realize, man, that's not lining up quite right. It will go after traditions. It will go after your feelings and emotions. It'll go after the way you view the church. It'll go after the way you view what the, how the church should be organized and what the leaders should be look like, look like. It's, it's, it's kind of confrontational, at least for me when I, when I lay it there. So over and over and over again in this study, we're going to look at the instructions for the church and we're going to hold it right next to what we are doing as a church. And when it doesn't line up, the call is for us to change. The call is for us to, to repent or to change what we believe, to change how we feel, to change how we think, and to change how we do things. That's kind of aggressive. Now, some of you are like, oh man, things are about to get crazy. He's gonna change everything in the next three weeks. Good news. I've never finished a book of the Bible in three weeks in my life, all right? You've got months for this, all right? So nobody freak out and think I'm gonna finish Titus in three weeks and it's gonna be a brand new church. No, we're gonna slowly chip away at this. I mean, we're gonna chip away and see what it says and the things we can change quickly and simply we will. And the things that feel more complicated, we'll study and we'll pray and we'll understand and then we'll change. Deal? All right, and if you don't wanna change, well, just sit there in your seat and do whatever you do. And we're gonna, we're gonna do it anyways, all right? Because we wanna be obedient to what God has clearly said. So let me give you the background of the book of Titus. So. Uh, Titus is part of a group of books in the Bible called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These are all things that Paul wrote on one of his missionary journeys to his little young guns that he had running around him. And he would leave them in certain cities to do work in churches. And the pastoral epistles, I need to make sure I say that right, the, pa the pastoral letters, that's easier to say, those are written to several of his young guns that were around him that he left to do some work at a church. They're written to young pastors whose job is to organize churches or, or teach churches or just do all sorts of things. So it's, it's really practical for me as a young pastor when I read these things, what does God say he wants me to do? So anyways, Titus is not Timothy. Timothy's the really young dude. Titus is the semi-young dude. So Timothy's probably in his early 30s. Titus, maybe he's in his 40s. So welcome to the 40-year-old pastor. That's kind of my world right now. And, and as Paul's doing this, he's probably already been in Rome in prison and he's out. And now he's traveling around left and right. And, and Paul has left Tim, or Titus, I don't know why I said Timothy. He left Titus in a, in a, on an island called Crete. Now, Crete sounds like a miserable place. Cretans, does that sound like a good, do you want to be around Cretans? Uh, if you don't know what that word is, I didn't really know either, but it's later on in Titus, so you can look it up. You Google it right now, and I'm not going to have to spell it. Like, Crete sounds like a miserable place, but let me show you some pictures, all right? Uh, thanks to the power of Google, I'm going to transport you to Crete, Greece. Uh, that's Titus, or yeah, Titus's assignment. I don't know how y'all, that, that, that looks phenomenal to me. I got to be honest with you. Like if Jesus would give me an assignment to Crete, I'd be like, Lord, here am I, send me. I will go to Crete. I will preach the gospel on those beaches all day, every day. Like, dude, it's, it's beautiful. It's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know how many of y'all are thinking about being missionaries to Crete. Anybody? Man, if that doesn't call you, ain't nothing gonna work. Um, listen, so this is a, 
that that's a place that he's supposed to go. I mean, no electricity. It's a couple thousand years ago. So uh, don't think it looked that awesome, but it, it was that world, right? He just got sentenced to island life, like, and beautiful, gorgeous island life in the Mediterranean Sea. Like, that's a great assignment for Titus. At least you think it would be. But, but as you find out really quickly, Crete's got some issues, man. I mean, they got, they, they got nice beaches, but they are broken in every which way possible. I mean, they are just, we're not going to get that today, but it's a pretty dysfunctional assignment. And so here's what Paul's apparently been doing. He's apparently been going around planting churches in these areas, and he's left Titus in Crete. Now, I need you to imagine you're Crete. You've never heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been a Jew. Maybe you've been a Gentile. You're probably a Gentile. Paul shows up, shares the gospel. You get saved. It's all brand new to you. And then like three weeks later, dude's packing up and leaving. And he's saying, listen, don't worry. You've got the Holy Spirit and you've got each other. You're good. And you're like, bro, it's been like three weeks. Can you just like, just, I got a few questions for you. And not just a few. I got a lot of questions for you because they don't have the New Testament. They, they might not even have copies of the Old Testament, depending on where they're at in Crete and how the Jews are interacting with the church. Like he just leaves them. Like you can see how a, a church that's three or four weeks old. And then Paul leaves no other churches, no idea how to do it. No way to Google it and look up what a church should look like. No podcast sermons, nothing. He says, good luck. You got this. And he he pieces out and they're like, dude, I don't know what's happening. So Paul's traveling back around, sending some of his dudes to these places. So he's sending Titus. Now let me give you a little background about Titus. Titus may be young, but he's kind of, he's a tough dude. Now let me tell you some of the assignments he got. First of all, when Paul was first traveling around to plant churches, there was a debate about whether or not you had to get circumcised to be saved. Uh, and so they took Timothy and Timothy got circumcised, Bummer as an adult, uh, that's going to be uncomfortable without anesthesia. But then Titus didn't. And, and here was the reason he didn't have Titus get circumcised. He wanted an example to all the conservative, angry people that you don't have to do this to be a follower of Jesus. So Timothy's job was to show up into every conservative city as an example to say, I don't have to be like you to be pleased for God to be pleased with me. I need to be in Jesus. Like literally Timothy's job was to take all the, all the, um, the criticism and the attacks from the Jews in every single town. Think about that. Listen, you don't pick some weak, spineless little dude to do that in every town with Paul as he's going, right? Like you get that, right? If there's anyone Paul's ticking off in cities, it's going to be the Jews. And Timothy is example one of that. This is my prime example. Or not Timothy, Titus. Titus is my prime example. He's not getting circumcised. And I better figure out this dude's name before I preach to this whole series. Like here's Titus. Like, and he has to take all these shots the whole time. This is a gritty dude, man. He is not weak. He is not soft. You can tell him you don't like him and he's gonna be like, all right, I guess I don't like you either. That's probably not how he's gonna say it. He's, he's godly too. So not only that, but let me give you another example. Paul sent Titus to Corinth. Now, if you know anything about Corinth, the, the church of Corinth got in lots of fights with Paul. Paul got in a knockdown, drag out fight with this church. They were immoral. They're visiting prostitutes and thinking it's okay for them to do that. They're worshiping idols. They're getting drunk at church. I need you to think about this. They would have church potlucks and they would get drunk all the time. 
And then if, if they would show up and say, listen, you're poor, you didn't bring enough food. I'm eating my food. You go figure it out. And Paul's like, I got to handle these people. They're stinking losing their mind. Titus, go handle Corinth, <laughs> right? Like, just think about this. Like, oh, seriously, you're going to send me to the only church that seems to argue and fight back with you. They got all sorts of issues and you're sending Titus? Because Titus had some grit about him, man. There was something tough about him. And so Paul takes Titus and leaves him in Crete, an awesome, beautiful island luxury Crete. So that's kind of the background. So let me jump into the first part of this book. We're going to look at Titus chapter one, and we're going to read verses one through four. It says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior to Titus, my true child on a common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. Now listen, uh, that does not feel like the punch I promised it was going to deliver. Does it? You're like, okay, that was pretty boring. Tell me you're moving on. I'm not. Let me show you why. There's a few things I want us to see in here. Let me, let me, I want you to see how Paul introduces himself. And here's why. I want you to see how he views himself. Now think about this dude. This guy's been traveling in towns. He's planted hundreds of churches. I mean, dude walks into a city and there's a church getting started. I mean, it's ridiculous. In a matter of weeks, people are saved, churches are started. He pieces out and he just does it over and over and over again. He's been beaten and stoned and whipped. He stood before Caesar. This dude stood before Caesar, shared the gospel and still got to walk out free, right? Like Paul was an animal. Now, when you think about that dude showing up saying, let me tell you who I am, what would, what would you expect the first thing to be from Paul describing himself? Actually, let me say it this way. When you think about normal pastors or, you know, I'll go for any leader. Let's throw politicians in there as well since they're all losing their mind, right? Like if they've done all this stuff, how do you think they have themselves introduced when they walk onto a stage? Superlatives? Then let me tell you all the awesome stuff I've done. I am Paul. The dude that stood before Caesar. I'm probably the best apostle of them all walking around there right now. I'm the, I've planted hundreds of churches. I've been beaten. I've, people have tried to kill me and it, I still kept preaching. So I'm Paul the brave. I'm Paul the competent. I'm Paul the wise. I'm Paul the eloquent. Paul the powerful. That's not how he starts it. Paul the servant. Dude, I, come on, Paul. Like he, he starts off and the primary way that he sees himself is that he's the servant of God. He's not the big show. He's not the great one. He's the servant. Man, I, I like that. I like that. And that word, that word is hard for me. I'm not going to lie to you. It's got some difficult things in that word. Originally is doulos in the Greek. It means slave. Now you don't need to think 16, 1700 slavery. That was 
just an awful travesty and a sin against humanity. You need to think more along the lines of, of a servant that's like a butler to a king. You need to think along the lines of an ambassador that he has the privilege of serving this king. And he's saying, you know what? Listen, I, I go to see the king and I don't even know that I belong in this room, but, but I get to serve him. I, I get to serve him. Now I want you to think about leaders in the United States. And I also want to think about pastors. I'm, let me go on pastors. Let me bail on the leaders. We all know, I don't even want to get into that right now. I, I need to avoid that. Let's talk about pastors. Man, I, I get concerned sometimes because the temptation for pastors is this. You want to be influential. I need you to get on Twitter, Facebook, probably not Facebook, Instagram. Like I need you to make a name for yourself. Like you need to get out there. You need to get yourself in front of people. Like it's about the pastor wowing you, right? And when, when churches go to look for a new senior pastor, what are they normally looking for? Listen, we, we, need, we need like a CEO type leader. He's got to be able to handle this organization and these finances and these buildings and these employees. We, we need a person that's a visionary, He's got to have huge, massive, gigantic vision. Otherwise, where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm not saying these things aren't important skill sets, but, but, but let me tell you what we don't often, we need a good communicator, right? He's got to be able to preach. If he, that dude can't preach, forget about it. And I'm kind of curious how far on the list before we actually get to, that man's got to be a servant, it's almost if some dude shows up as a servant, he's disregarded as not a competent leader. And I think the Bible says that if you're not a servant, you're not a qualified leader. doesn't matter how competent you are. There's got to be this humility about leadership in the church. It, it, it's this humbleness that says, it's my job to serve it's my job to get you to be wowed with Jesus, not me. All the wowing that should happen with our church should be wowing of Jesus. And Paul, out of the gate, servant of God. Then he also says this, in case you get the wrong idea, it's not just a one-sided view and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Listen, an apostle in this phrase is an official title. It means someone who's sent out. The way you become an apostle and, and that type of apostle is this. You have a face-to-face -face meeting with the resurrected Jesus. You've been around him and he gives you an assignment and gives you authority and a role and says, you need to go represent me out there. He also gives you power to do miracles, to authenticate that you, are, you belong in that position. Listen, I say all that and you need to study that in the word. I don't have time to go through all that right now because there's people today who take the title apostle. Nope, listen, you need to hear me. There are no apostles today. Now there's no apostle Paul walking around. He, he better demonstrate Jesus has really showed up face to face in a face to face encounter and he better do some miracles to back it up. I don't need to talk. I don't wear a nice suit. I don't even have a nice car. Does not make him an apostle? The thing that makes you an apostle that gives you that type of authority is face to face meeting with Jesus and him giving you authority. Not you just want to be an apostle and you like the title. Like the, the title apostle, when Paul says this, he's his servant, but he says he's an apostle. Here's what I see with Paul in this moment. It's this mixture of, of humble servant-like authority. Because listen, even though Paul's a servant, dude, he'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. And here's why he'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. He doesn't answer to you. He, he serves God. And he serves you as an effort to serve God. And when you start 
messing with God's church and God's plan. He's saying, listen, I don't work for you. I work for Jesus. And he gave me authority. And I'm telling you, no, stop it. Like, listen, if, if you can't grasp what it looks like to have bold, strong, humble authority at the same time, like, we need to do a better job of painting a picture for you because that's exactly who Paul was. Humble servant doesn't mean weak coward that hides in the corner and lets everyone tell him what to do. Humble servant is a person who's sitting there saying, man, I care more about you than I care about me. It's not about me getting the limelight. It's about Jesus getting the limelight. I'm serving you to get you to him because that's what's best for you and best for him. And it's strong and powerful and clear and loving. Like when Paul says he's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's saying some unbelievable things about himself. But, but he also gives us a picture, not of, uh, only of how he views himself, but of his purpose. Look at how he sees that his job is supposed to be. He says this there in the middle of verse one. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He also says, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with God. So we take that first one, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He says his purpose here is for the sake of the faith. And he uses this phrase, God's elect. Listen, that word elect, uh, I don't know how many of y'all been in church for, for a long time. I mean, not this morning. I know I'm talking a long time, but I mean, you've been in church for a while, right? When you see the word elect, tell me what goes on inside of you. Chosen. What emotions are happening in you right now? You're allowed to have emotions. Sorry, was that a confusing thing? Let me tell you, I, I know that that word right there all by its little lonesome self is a lightning storm of controversy in the church. So I got, I got three choices. I can skip over it. I can change what it means. Or I can tell you what it means. Listen, skipping over it is a whole lot easier for me in this moment. Changing it, that's also easier because it makes fewer people angry, keeps more people in the church, to be honest. Telling you what it means, that, that increases my emails this week and probably my meetings. And I'm gonna tell you what it means. When he says it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect, the word elect means chosen. He says, this is for the sake of the faith of the people that God chose. That's what that means. Now, now right now, some of you have a lot of questions. You should have a ton of questions, right? Are there questions? Tons of questions. There's questions about things like predestination and free will and all these things like, oh no, like explosions in your brain. Listen, I'm going to explain that later. <laughs> all right. I'm not going to go into the full depth of that, but there's something else I want to poke at right now. And, and here's the thing that I want to poke out that I make sure is, is good for us as a church people. Listen, when it says this word like elect right here, here's the bigger concern I have for us as a church. Our concern or my concern for us is that what would happen in us is this anger, this rage, this, if he thinks that word means that, I'm leaving this church because he's probably a heretic because it says elect and he's making it mean that God chose. Listen, I, I know that word is scary, but you would be very upset at me 
if I ignored what the Bible said about sexuality. You would be furious with me if I changed what the Bible said about sexuality. You long for me to be faithful what the word says, and I'm going to do that for this word as well. It means that God chose. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, you need to hear this. God chose you. I hope that makes you feel loved. My concern is that it makes some of us angry. And that's where I want to focus at for this moment. So my job is not to make you all believe the same thing as me. My job is to connect you to Jesus and help you believe what he says about himself. All right? So I'm not trying to force anyone to believe anything in particular right now. I just need to expose you to the word. But, but my concern is this, that what would happen in our hearts is anger and hardness instead of saying, Jesus, what do you say? What do I believe? And if it doesn't line up, am I going to ignore it? Am I going to change it? Or am I going to change me? Listen, church, I, I want us to be a people. I want us to be a people that when we rightly understand what God says about himself, and if it doesn't line up with what we believe, we change. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying all the ins and outs questions. My, my issue is not to explain to you what he means when he says God's elect today. My issue is to make sure that we're humble enough to say, you know what, God, like, here's the deal. If that's what you say about yourself, I'm going to try to understand it and make sure I got it right. I'm not going to take anyone else's word for it. I'm going to go to the word and see it myself. And if I see what you say about yourself does not line up what I believe, I will change what I believe. Are we those people? Are, are we a people that are submitted to the authority and rule of Jesus in everything are we a people that say, I'm submitted to him as long as he says what I've always been taught or as long as he says what I believe? Listen, we need to be people that come to the word and say, God, whatever you say about even the hard things, the confusing things, I'm gonna submit to what you say about yourself and I'm gonna study it to make sure I get it right. It's not gonna be quick and easy, but I'm not gonna hold on to what I believe even if, the, if when the word becomes clear. Right, church? Man, I, I hope that that becomes us. Now, listen, I'm not saying you got to agree on every point of doctrine that I would talk about, but I am saying we cannot be hard-hearted people that get in angry, cantankerous fights when the word is clear. We go to the word, we study, we ask, we pray, we talk with each other, and then we submit to the word. Let me see what else he says about himself. And, and here's some of the things that I love. He doesn't just say he, that he's there for the sake of the faith of God's life. Here's what that means. He's saying this, I want every believer, I want them, I want their faith to grow. That's what he's saying for you. He said, listen, here's what I want for you. I want your faith to grow. If Paul were to be here, he'd be saying, listen, I'm coming here to serve God and, I'm, and I have authority from God. But my goal for you is that your faith would grow. Paul's goal, if he showed up in Tallahassee, would say, I want to make sure that every man, woman, and child in all of Tallytown has a chance to hear the gospel and get faith in Jesus. He'd be leading us as a church to make sure we're taking the gospel to every nook and cranny of Tallahassee. I'm talking about every nook and cranny of Tallahassee, not just middle-class white suburbia. Don't just go to the easy places. I want you in the poor places and the hard places and the uncomfortable places. That's what he's saying. We're going to go everywhere. 
We're going to know people who are like us and people who are different from us. Why? Because Jesus loves every single one of them. So we're going to love every single one of them. We're going to go to the people that look clean. And we're going to go to the people that don't look clean. We're going to go to the people that look like they've got lots of money and everything's all together. And we're going to go find the drug dealers and the gangsters and the people who are addicted to things. And we want to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee for the sake of every believer, for their faith. Man, I love Paul. This dude is like, he's aggressive. He's humble and he's authoritative and he's a servant. And he's saying, I want everyone to have faith in Jesus. And he also says this, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So he's not just saying, hey, I, I want everyone to have faith. He's saying, I want everyone to know. Like, I want everyone to know the truth. And by the truth, I think he means the gospel and the word. I want everyone that I'm working with, here's my purpose. Here's what God made me an apostle to make sure that the faith of the elect grows, to make sure that faith spreads and to make sure all of you know the truth of the gospel and the word. Now he adds a little descriptor there that's important. It says, which accords with godliness. Here's why that's important. The concern that I would have and the challenge that I have in this is what we can do if we take off that which accords with godliness, here's what it turns into us as church people. My job is to give you a whole lot of information about God. I want to make sure you know all the facts, every little, little theological point I need to make sure you get that. I need to know you, you have the books of the Bible memorized. You know what the Bible, books of the Bible say. You know theology. You know, I need to make sure you know all the truths about God. It's all a complete information dump. I teach you classes. I give you lectures. I give you books to read, all with the goal of informing your thinking. That's not the kind of teaching Paul is talking about. Yeah, all those things are there, but it can't stop there. We can become a whole bunch of academic people who know what God is like, but it says this, which accords with godliness. Let me, let me put it this way. Teaching that it actually moves you to action, right? Like this type of thing that we can sit in a church for 20, 30 years and we hear the word all the time and it never moves us is not right teaching. It's got to move the way I live tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. It's got to cause me to have an increase in faith and an increase in action. It's got to cause me to have more repentance of sin, more humility, more love, deeper relationships. The, the teaching that we're supposed to get in the church is not just supposed to inform your brain. It's supposed to change our hearts and hands. Church, I'm, I'm curious. You've been, I don't know how long you've been in church, but I wonder how many of you have, have actually been moved by the word of God to obedience. When was the last time you saw something in the word for yourself as you were spending time with God and it moved you to actually do something about it? So what, what I love about this is I feel like these two things, for the sake of the faith of of believers and their knowledge of the truth, these two things feel like me go hand in hand. Let me explain what I mean. If one of the things we want to have happen is all of Tallahassee be saturated with gospel access, I mean, like literally, Tallahassee is flooding with gospel. If that's what we want to have happen, listen, let me tell you, we've been over this. This is not, here's how it does not happen. 
It does not happen that all we try to do is get more people into this room. That's not God's plan. I'm telling you, it's clear God's plan is this. He takes every single one of us, me included, and he uses us to reach our neighbors, our coworkers. He uses us to reach the people at our kids' school, fellow parents. He uses us to reach the things that we do for fun, t-ball, little league. I don't know if you do woodworking or you do hunting. Like he wants to take some part of your life and use you. Listen, he wants to use you and me to help saturate Tallahassee with the good news. Listen, that's a teaching that leads to godliness. Like what I'm saying is, here's what I want to see happen. I want to see us step out to engage our neighbors and I want to see Jesus reach your neighbor through you. And I want that to cause your faith to grow. And not like this theoretical faith, but this faith that you actually, you actually see it work. I, I, I want you to see God give you gospel conversations with friends at work or that family member that tells you to shove off if you bring up the gospel. Man, I want you to see God give you wisdom and insight on how to love them well and be with them and see God change their heart and they place their trust in Jesus. Listen, you tell me what would happen to your faith. If we labor and struggle together and we pray and we're training on how to reach our neighbors and all of a sudden there's a day that it happens, you get to show up here and you walk in that baptistry with me. And that unsafe friend who hated Jesus and had no hope, whose life was broken or maybe it was great, but it was missing God, you get to stand in that baptistry with that person. And we're up there and they declare in front of everyone in this room that they know and love Jesus and that he saved them and changed them. You tell me what happens to your faith in that moment. Do you doubt the power of the gospel anymore? Do you doubt that he's strong and good? Man, wouldn't that be phenomenal, church? I think, man, I, I think about it. That's what I want for you. Because I think that's what Jesus wants for you. Yeah, he wants you to know and love him and be forgiven and walk with him. But listen, man, he wants to use you to help other people know and love him and walk with him. This sitting in church and doing nothing, this, this treading water, here's what I want you to hear. The Bible will not allow the church to be that. As soon as I come across the intro to Titus, I am confronted that we as a church must get out and get active in knowing Jesus and making him known. Church, are we going to go on that journey of obedience and follow Jesus? Listen, I'm praying that we will. And my plan to respond to the things that are in the book of Titus is for the next several years or for the rest of my life is to lead this church as long as possible for us to obey him in doing that. And I pray that we'd have a heart that would want to follow him in that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? So now I want to guide you in a moment just of response. Listen, for some of you who are confronted with beliefs that or not just beliefs, you're confronted with a heart that does not want to submit to the word. Let me just say it that way. Then we say words like elect, what happens is anger instead of curiosity of what God says. 
Listen, if you find a stubbornness in yourself to refuse to submit to what God has said about himself and his word, can, can I just challenge you to, to ask God to give you a tender heart towards him and his word? Does that have to be towards me, towards him? Listen, I, I want to remind you, if you're there and that feels hard for you, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and came back from the dead, he gives us the ability to have brand new hearts. Listen, if he's strong enough to bring Jesus back from the dead, he can soften my heart. And he can soften yours. Listen, for, for some of you, you felt confronted by the fact that Paul's talking about us growing in our knowledge of the truth or growing in faith that leads to action. Both of those things. Listen, some of your faith hasn't been active in a long, long time. Maybe never. Listen, right there in your seat, would you just ask him to help you not just be a person that hears and does nothing, but be a person that actually has faith that moves to obedience. Or maybe you just haven't been walking with God, getting to know him, and you're ready to say, listen, I'm, I, need to, I need to know the truth. I need to get in the word. I need to learn the truths of the gospel and the truths of who he is. And you've been starving yourself from knowing Jesus. Would, would you take a moment and just ask him to help you get back into his word? And, and would you actually just plan on doing it this week and next week and the week after? So I'll remind you again, if, if God can bring Jesus back from the dead, listen, he can help me get something out of his word. For some of you, you hear all this talk about faith and spreading this good news message out, but for you, maybe you've been in church and you've been good and clean, or maybe you haven't been good and clean, I don't know. But you're here today and the thing that stood out to you, you didn't hear anything else I said, but the thing that's burning in your heart right now is this, that what you need is you need Jesus to do a work that saves you. Like you need to place your trust in him for real for the first time. I wanna make this real, real clear as much as possible. The Bible says that all of us have kind of rebelled against him. And what he, what he did is instead of judging us, he pursued us with love and he sent his son, Jesus, to come and get us to be part of his family. And he's telling you, listen, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for all my rebellion. And he came back from the dead and he offers this gift of relationship and forgiveness. If we will place our trust in what he did and ask him to save us, Listen, the Bible says he'll clean you. He'll adopt you into the family. He'll make you belong. Listen, whether you've been in church for five, 15 minutes or if you've been in church for 50 years, listen, the way we get to God is only through Jesus. If you've never placed your trust, I want to encourage you right there in your seat. Just, it's not fancy. There's not a magic formula. You just tell him, I believe you and I'm asking you to save me. For some of you, you're in awe of a God that would be so loving, he would pursue. I mean, he would just pursue you. Would you just worship him in your seat? Heavenly Father, God, we, we come to you and we say this. You are in charge. And God, we, we commit to follow you and submit to you no matter how hard or difficult or scary it is. 
And God, I'm asking for us as a church, God, would you make us people who love you? God, would you make us people who love our neighbors? God, would you make us people whose faith is active, take real action? God, we're asking you, would you help us saturate Tallahassee with your good news? I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.